Good afternoon, everybody. Good evening. Good morning, depending on what time zone you're in and when you listen. This is the Sheridan Show with Chris Sheridan for BasketballNews.com. I'm really pleased to be joined today by a, a longtime friend and colleague, Howard Beck, most recently uh, with Bleacher Report, now with SiriusXM, NBA, uh, doing doing a lot of great work uh, on that channel with uh, with a bunch of guys we've worked with in the past. Um, if you uh, if you don't subscribe yet to Sirius, you should, especially if you're an NBA nut. Uh, and if you're listening to this podcast, you most certainly are. So, Howard, welcome to the show, and let's get right into it. Topic of the day, topic of the season. Will Giannis Antetokounmpo sign his Supermax extension with the Milwaukee Bucks? Uh, there's a lot of moving parts. It seems that it's holding up the Anthony Davis signing as well in Los Angeles. What's your reading on sort of that whole situation? Well. First of all, thanks for having me, Chris. Appreciate it. Um, I, you know, I did not expect, no matter what the Bucks did, that Giannis was necessarily going to sign the Supermax before this season. Not because of any particular reason, but because of the one obvious global reason for him, which is superstars in this day and age have the freedom, have the financial security by the time they get to this stage of their career that they don't have to jump right in. Now, you and I have been covering this league for a long time, and the standard operating procedure for maybe the entire history of the NBA, certainly through the 90s, the early 2000s, and maybe all the way up until about five, 10 years ago, standard operating procedure was lock in the most money at the most years as soon as possible. That's how agents operated. That's how players operated. And even if you were a superstar, but the the wealth of the league and therefore the players who get 50% of all revenue is so just off the charts now that Giannis doesn't have to sit back and go, well, gee, if I don't lock in now, is there a risk of injury? We just saw Kevin Durant sign a max deal with the Nets last year after tearing his Achilles, one of the worst injuries or not the worst injury you could have. So there's no urgency for Giannis to do this. And that I haven't even gotten to the basketball issues, but that's the, to me, that's the most important thing. There is no urgency. He's set for life. His kids, his children's children and generations of Antetokounmpo's to come do not have to worry about his next contract. Um, But then there is the basketball, Chris. And on the basketball front, I don't think it's clear that the Bucs got better or at least significantly better. We all love Drew Holiday. He's certainly an upgrade over George Hill and Eric Bledsoe. Is he enough of an upgrade? Uh, We'll probably talk about Bogdan Bogdanovich, who they had hoped to get as well. And if they'd acquired him too, then we could have at least felt a little bit more confident in them advancing um, over where they were last season. But, you know, the Bucks, you know, fall pretty far short in the postseason of where they expected. They've been a great regular season team, but not a great playoff team. Some of that's on Giannis himself. But if you're Giannis, you're looking around and saying, I don't have an Anthony Davis. I don't have Paul George. I don't have, if I'm LeBron in Miami, the uh, you know, I don't have a Dwayne Wade. I don't have, or I don't have a Kyrie Irving if you're LeBron in Cleveland. So to me, the, the problem with, for the Bucs has always been, or the challenge for the Bucs has always been, how do you get that second star? Chris Middleton, Middleton is a star. He is an all-star. He's not that level though, Chris. He's not, it's not the same as LeBron and AD or Kobe and Shaq, Jordan and Pippen. Uh, he just doesn't have that guy. So Instead, what you need is like this perfectly calibrated supporting cast that can overcome the teams that have multiple stars. And so far, they haven't been able to do it. So I think that on some level, 
financial uh, security and those concerns aside, I also think Giannis is probably sitting there saying, you got to show me. I got to know that there's a path to title contention here and for the foreseeable future. And it's, it, he absolutely, that's his right and, and, and should, should play it that way. Um, I hope he stays. I hope he does sign, whether it's the Supermax now or an extension or, or a new contract after the season. I think it's better for the league if there's some stability, especially in the small markets. But I think this is a, a kind of a, a, a show me first situation where he wants to see if the Bucks can get him the right supporting cast. And maybe they have, Chris. Maybe they have, and we don't know it yet. We'll have to see how this season plays out. But I don't think we're going to see him signing before the season starts. Yeah, his deadline is December 21st, which is the day before the season starts. And, um, you know, nothing surprises me in the NBA. And, and every day I wake up and expect crazy stuff to happen in the NBA. Um, it wouldn't surprise me if Chris Middleton, who has underperformed in the past two playoffs, is eventually traded. Maybe not before the season, but maybe before the trade deadline. Uh, because, look, there are a lot of teams out there that are holding cap space a year from now with the anticipation that Giannis is going to be a free agent. Miami is one. Dallas is another. New York is another. Toronto. So, yeah, and Toronto as well. And so, so you, the guy is – I don't want to say he's holding the whole league hostage, but the entire league is waiting for that December 21st Supermac de- deadline to come to see is the guy going to be locked up in Milwaukee for years and years or – um, are we going to have a shot at him in uh, uh, next summer when uh, hopefully the pandemic is over and we're all heading to the Olympics uh, healthy and happy? So, uh, but when you look at the the moves the Bucks did did make, uh, let's let's start with an easy one: uh, DJ Augustine versus George Hill, uh, two different kind of players. Uh, George led the league in three point accuracy. DJ uh, he, he's smaller, um, not quite as good of a shooter, but a, a seasoned playmaker. How do you like that adjustment? Well, it's a nice backfill. Um, part of the drawback of the trade for Drew Holiday, aside from all those picks they sent out, is that they gave up two really solid point guards in Bledsoe and George Hill, both of whom are uh, stout defenders. George Hill, a great shooter, um, and either of them capable of starting. So you lost some depth. So they needed a backfill. They needed to uh, to have a solid backup. DJ Augustine's been around this league for whatever it's been, 10 plus years and um, not a guy you want to lean hard on, but uh, he's, you know, a a really nice uh, change of pace guy coming off the bench, veteran, uh, good character guy, locker room guy. And, you know, um, you know, he can score. They, you know, they they needed some bench scoring. So it's, it's, uh, it's good. Like, you know, they, they made a a lot of nice pickups, Torrey Craig, um, some of the others, uh, 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 Bryn Forbes, they did a decent job of backfilling, but you don't look at their overall haul for the offseason and say that they are, you know, leaps and bounds better than the team that lost in the, in the second round in the bubble. I, I agree with you totally. Let's turn our attention to uh, to the Los Angeles Lakers, the defending champs. And, you know, it's not fair, Howard, because they got better. <laughs> they got Montrez Harrell from the Clippers uh, as their new center. They got Wes Matthews from the Bucks. Um, the, the new defender who's going to replace uh, some of what Avery Bradley gave them. And they got Dennis Schroeder from the Thunder, um, who's a, just a terrific motor guy. Um, and, a, a, you know, that was just a, a phenomenal pickup uh, for Rob Palenka. Um, and the Lakers are huge, huge favorites to win the title next year. Um, so, gun to your head, Howard, who, who can beat them in the West? 
Well, I think Chris, they, so this is a case where I do think they got significantly better, um, which is interesting, right? That we don't too often see championship teams get significantly better. They usually erode over time, especially if you're going to go, you know, uh, back to the finals repeatedly, as we kind of expect with this Laker team. You know, you saw it with the Warriors over the course of five years. Um, yes, uh, you know, two years in, they get Durant during their run. And suddenly um, they go from, you know, dominance to superpower, all-time superpower. But they were gradually eroding around the edges the whole time. The Miami Heat, during LeBron's four years, they were gradually eroding the whole time. For the Lakers to win the championship in LeBron's second season and AD's first year there, and then to actually improve the roster uh, is a, is a, a pretty unusual and, and, and pretty significant uh, feat. So, uh, you know, kudos to Rob Palink and his staff for pulling it off. Um, they're different though. They're very different. You know, uh, they gave up Danny Green to get Dennis Schroeder, right? So they, they gave up, uh, you know, a, you know, veteran defender type for more of a scorer. Schroeder is, is certainly not known for his defense. Uh, but then they did a nice job of backfilling with Wes Matthews, who can kind of be the three and D guy that they lost with, uh, with Danny Green. Um, you know, Dwight Howard was a significant contributor for them. But to immediately within the first couple hours of free agency, steal Montrez Harrell, which nobody saw. Like I don't think there was a single rumor of watch out for the Lakers snagging Montrez Harrell from their their pseudo rivals down the hall. Like that, I mean uh, that was astounding for all kinds of reasons. Not least of which is that it weakened the Clippers. Clippers did you know recover nicely with Serge Ibaka, and they might actually be better off for it. Like that, that might actually be a, a good trade off for the Clippers. But the Lakers getting Montrezl Harrell and then signing Mark Gasol on top of it, keeping Markeith Morris, keeping uh, Catavius Caldwell Pope, um, they're they're like they, that they're ten man. You know, if you want to go into two units, which you know teams don't really swap out five at a time. But I, I look at their depth chart; uh, they're they're nice, too deep at every position. Um, I, I like I like where they are. They've strengthened themselves. They're the clear favorite going into the season, but I, I don't think there are some runaway favorite. This is not like the Warriors during those Durant years where you thought no one even has a chance. Um, the Clippers are still in the in the mix. The Nuggets are in the mix. The Blazers have, I think, had a phenomenal offseason. And you know, uh, our friend Bobby Marks, who's over at ESPN, formerly you know an assistant GM with the Nets, Bobby thinks the Blazers are the second best team in the West now. Um, and he, he's probably not alone in that. I haven't, you know, pulled the masses yet, but I, you know, I, I, there's a, certainly a case to be made. So Lakers are favorites, but not overwhelming. I, I do still think, as it was this past season, it's going to be a mix of teams, uh, which is good. I, I think there's going to be at least a little bit of suspense there. Yeah, I'm with you on the Blazers. I was, uh, and I think that's the one team that can they can beat uh, the Lakers uh, just because. The backcourt is so good with Lillard and McCollum. And then Yurkic, you know, he was all bubble material down in Lake Buena Vista. Nurkic was a beast. And uh, and then they went and picked up Enos Cantor to back him up. So they're not, it doesn't look like they're going to have Hassan Whiteside back. But Cantor, every time Cantor came in for the Celtics in the playoffs, good things happened. They got Derek Jones also uh, from Miami. And, you know, they don't run their rotation quite as deep. But um, but when, when you put together that starting five, you know, with Zach Collins and Lillard and, and CJ and uh, and as I said, and Nurkic, they're they're damn good. And then you know, Gary Trent has really really had a, a just a huge improvement season last year. And Rodney Hood will be back. I like Portland a lot. I think that's the that's the one team that's a legit threat to the Lakers. But 
I'm sort of in disagreement with you, Howard. I think the Lakers, because they're so good and because they got so much better, I mean, they really brought in great players. Um, they're coming west, but if anybody middle, um, and I, I think the and Serge Ibaka, but uh, Montrezaro Harrell gave him so much. You know, he, he won the sixth man of the year, and Ibaka's on the wrong side of 30. So I think the Clippers kind of took a bump down. But anyway, let's turn our attention to the Eastern Conference. Uh, and as we re- we record here today, we're waiting on news for of whether the Sacramento Kings are going to match the offer sheet that the Atlanta Hawks gave to Bogdan, uh, Bogdan Bogdanovich. But uh, there was supposed to be a trade before that, and it was going to involve the Kings and the Bucks. And uh, it, news came out of it before anybody was allowed to talk to free agents, and uh, which alarm bells went off. Hey, wait, that's tampering. You can't do that. You can't do that. And now Mark Stein from the New York Times has reported that the NBA has launched a tampering investigation into that uh, proposed trade. Where do you see that one going, Howard? The investigation itself? Uh, you know, well, there, first of all, let's start with this. Um, there's a lot of ambiguity here still, you know, the reports started coming out. Oh, Bogdanovich hadn't agreed to it, or he still wants to keep his options open, or he wants to look around, blah, blah, blah. Well, we know at this point, as you alluded to, we're, we're hours away from whether the Kings are going to match or not on the Hawks uh, offer sheet that he signed, which means he's going to be a Hawk or a King this coming season. That's it. We're down to those two. He's not going to be a buck. So you might say that the conclusion is already in on the tampering investigation. You know, maybe the message was simply sent. This ain't happening now. You blew it. Um, maybe that's a possibility and and a reasonable, plausible possibility. Whether the investigation itself re- results in anything, even an announcement, much less a discipline, I'm not sure. We'll see. Um, Adam Silver has not, in his years as commissioner, been anywhere near the disciplinarian that David Stern was, and I don't say that as a Critically, it's just an observation. It's just kind of a basic truth. Suspensions are shorter for fighting. Um, you know, uh, owners and others are not hit as hard uh, for for various infractions. I think Adam has been, uh, uh, you know, a, a little little lighter with the disciplinarian uh, aspect of the of, of the job. Um, but tampering has been a serious issue for this this league and has been a massive. Uh, discussion over the last several years. It's kind of just accepted that this is just the way the league operates for better or worse. You could call that corrosive. You could call that just realism. Uh, But the fact is, I think it was just a year and a half ago. I don't think it was two and a half years ago. I think it was a year and a half ago that, um, guys, I remember it was in the spring or it was was, uh, in the summer, either summer 2018 or 2019, when the NBA introduced and adopted all these new tampering regulations and enforcement mechanisms and reporting mechanisms. And if they want that to, to have any teeth at all and make an impact, then maybe this is the time to draw the line in the sand when there's a report three days ahead of free agency or four days ahead of free agency opening that a guy's already agreed to a sign and trade deal. Um, <laughs> that's an obvious violation. Now we've seen, there was still plenty of reporting on other guys who were possibly going to certain teams before they were allowed to talk. You still see deals being constant within minutes after free agency opens, which means they were obviously talking long before that. It's still happening. Uh, so the question is, how seriously does the NBA really want to crack down? How seriously do they want to enforce the new regulations that they adopted a year or so ago? And do they want to make an example out of the 
Kings, Buck. Well, not really the Kings. Well, the Kings had to participate in the sign and trade. So I guess you're you're going to be coming down the Kings and Bucks. Is um, it's not really coming down the agent because the agents are are certified through the Players Association, not through the league. So they have no jurisdiction over them. But um, but it hurts all parties if in fact Bogdanovich had agreed to it, and if in fact everybody was on board, and then it fell apart because of the report coming out. Um, then then again, there's there there have already been consequences in that case. Yeah, and it'll be interesting to see that because I agree with what you you said. Adam Silver doesn't come down as hard as his predecessor did, um, but you know, at the same time, they like you said, they issued a whole bunch of tampering guidelines, and everybody knows what the rules are. Uh, and look, the Bucks have been fine fine before for even you know alluding to the fact that they want to give uh, Giannis a supermax. So this one could go one of two ways. It, it, it could go into fine territory for the, for the owners, uh, Mark Lazary in, in Milwaukee and Vivek Ranadiva in, uh, in Sacramento, or the, the Adam Silver can just kind of let it go because Adam uh, doesn't like b- bad publicity. Uh, whereas David didn't necessarily mind it as long as everybody knew that he was in charge. So uh, again, I'm joined on, on the Sheridan show by Howard Beck. You can follow him on Twitter at Howard Beck. You can follow me on Twitter at Sheridan Hoops. And uh, Howard, interesting story uh, in the paper today. A um, bunch of guys from the Players Association and Michelle Roberts met with the Pope in Rome. <laughs> came together very quickly. And um, it, Anthony Tolliver said the Pope is chill. Um, and, <laughs> One of the great all-time quotes. It's, it's a great, it's like the quote of the day. and <clears throat> keeps you laughing and keeps, you know, keeps the mood light, which we need in, the, in this day and age. Um, but uh, what's your take on that? Um, that uh, that the the Pope wanted to meet with NBA players, and they actually gave him a Black Lives Matter uh, shirt, and um, and he was interested in hearing about their social uh, justice initiatives and their voting rights initiatives here in the United States. Well, my first impression is that uh, I saw the photo that I think maybe it was one co- accompanying the New York Times story by by my buddy Jonathan Abrams, and I was struck by the fact that there were like you know a half dozen NBA players and other reps and everybody all sitting in in uh, the room with the Pope who is older and no one was, no one was wearing masks, Chris. They just, they just landed. They just took like an overseas flight. I mean, do you know how many things I hoops I went through to go visit my mom in California recently, like testing, masking, more tests, more, I, I, there they are. They're sitting there with the Pope and no one's wearing a mask. I, I, I don't know. Uh, I, I, I assume, I assume the Vatican has some regulations in place and maybe they did like rapid testing or something and people were careful. I hope um, you don't want to, you don't want to kill the Pope. <laughs> uh, yeah, it seems like a bad idea. Um, so uh, I love the fact that the Pope was chill. Um, and I uh, absolutely uh, it is, it is really fascinating and uh, significant that the Pope would invite a delegation of NBA players to come sit with him. I don't know that I've ever seen anything like this before. I am no scholar of the, of the Vatican, Vatican politics, Vatican policy regarding sports figures or social justice. Um, although this Pope I know has been much more, I think, engaged on, on a lot of those issues and um, that he had an interest in what the NBA players were doing speaks both of his values and his priorities, but also a recognition that NBA players, this generation of NBA players, have made a, a huge impression, not just here at home, but around the world with their outspokenness, with their engagement, with their activism, with their, their, their acting on their conscience. Uh, 
you know, I've written about this a couple of times. We, we haven't seen this before. We have, yes, we have seen other sports figures of note take stands historically. Of course, Muhammad Ali and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Jim Brown, Bill Russell. But this is an entire generation of NBA players, not just a, a player here or there, not just a, a, a sole Mahmoud Abdul-Raouf standing on his own um, as an island and taking the brunt of all the backlash by himself. This is almost the entire league unified on, on these issues today. And uh, I think it's remarkable. I think it's fantastic. Um, I think this is the new normal. I think this is here to stay. And so for the, the Pope to invite them on a moment's notice to come visit with him and talk about those issues and their, and their work on those issues. Uh, it, it just, I think it elevates us to, to another level. The NBA players have done a great job of amplifying these causes, but um, having the, the kind of the imprimatur of, of the Vatican and um, I, I think is incredible. And I, I wonder where it will go from here. I wonder if we'll see some more kind of, 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 of collaboration across uh, that, that great divide across the ocean and across, you know, uh, institutions here, NBA to, to Vatican. Um, I don't know. Maybe it was just, you know, hey, let's just have a conversation. But uh, I think it's incredible. And, it, and and again, it speaks really highly of of the work that NBA players are doing right now. I agree. Uh, one more <clears throat> one more subject, Howard. The team we both used to cover uh, from courtside at Madison Square Garden, the New York Knicks. Leon Rose had a nice draft. He got the college player of the year in, in uh, Obi Toppin. He got the SEC Player of the Year in Emmanuel quickly, um, but he couldn't get anything done in free agency. Um, the the Knicks uh, don't have a, the Knicks might have the worst team in the NBA, and and they're challenging the Thunder for that distinction. We'll see what the Thunder look like uh, once all their trades get done. Right now, they have twenty guys under uh, under contract, but um, why can't Leon Rose get uh, even with Tom Thibodeau in as, as the new coach? Why can't he get free agents to come to the Knicks? I'm not sure it's the right question to ask at this stage, Chris, um, at least not of Leon Rose. Like this is not a Leon Rose Tom issue. This is issue that dates them. It's a Gordon issue. And it's obvious to an extent, a Jim Dolan issue. Um, I, and I also think that it, I should be the last one to say that them not going crazy in free agency is, is, is reason to hammer them right now. Cause my general standpoint on, or, or view of the Knicks is stop counting on free agency. Stop believing that just because you operate in New York and you're the Knicks and you're in this great market, that it means that everybody's going to be knocking down your door. You got to come to terms with the fact that NBA players in this generation are looking for stability, a track record of success. They're looking for uh, an organization that they believe they can entrust their careers to, and especially if you're at the superstar level or even the all-star level, a, a, a team that has shown it knows what it's doing. The Nets got KV, uh, Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving a year and a half ago because they had shown that they had a plan and, uh, and, and, and had some stability. They showed how well they were able to build just modestly, not through superstar free agency, but through players like Spencer Dinwiddie and Joe Harris, reclamation projects, draft picks that they took swings on, Jared Allen, Karis LeVert, and suddenly these guys as stars said, oh, those guys are doing a nice job and they're in a big market. Let's, let's go, that, that's intriguing. Let's go be part of that. The Clippers, same thing. And these are interesting too, because they're both in the same position in their markets. They're absolutely dwarfed by their longstanding uh, rivals, you know, the Knicks and Lakers. But the Clippers were able to get Kawhi Leonard and Paul George to come because of what they had built. The Knicks haven't done that yet. They haven't done their homework. 
maybe Leon and his crew will be the ones to do that, Chris. So if I'm going to frame it that way, I'm not about to sit here and say in a year of a weak free agent class that they should have splurged on a, on a Gordon Hayward or overpaid somebody. I don't even know who they could have gotten. I do think there were some missed opportunities, though, and I'll get to that in a second. But on balance, I think that they're doing this the right way. They've used their cap room to absorb contracts like Ed Davis and then take and uh, get picks with them and then flipped Ed Davis. Like, be do, do what the small market teams do. Use your cap room in other ways to get assets if you can't use the cap room to get really good players. And in the meantime, draft well, develop well. So I actually think the patience is a good sign. And... Again, there weren't that many players to spend on. That said, I don't, I'm puzzled by the fact that they did not seem to be aggressive in pursuing Fred Van Vliet. I don't know if he would have left Toronto or not, but he did sign whatever it was in the low 20 million range. He's a guy I would have gone all out for. He's a guy I would have, I would have overspent for. I would have overpaid a Fred Van Vliet because he's young enough and good enough and plays both sides of the ball. Great character guy, foundational piece, position of need. And if you're trying to establish a new culture under the Leon Rose Tom Thibodeau regime, I think he would have been a great place to start. And I'm, I am puzzled by the fact they didn't go all out for him to try to, to like put your stake in the ground and say, this is the kind of player we're about. This is where we're, this is what we want to be about. And then once he's there, because he's pretty good point guard and you know, two-way player, that's somebody that RJ Barrett and Kevin Knox and now Obi Top and the rest can play off of. They, they just haven't had good point guard play in forever. So I just think for all kinds of reasons, I would have overspent to get him. They didn't. I'm glad they didn't go all out to try to trade for Chris Paul. I'm not sure they had the assets to get him anyway. I'm glad they haven't gone hog wild trying to get Russell Westbrook. Again, I don't think they have the assets to get him anyway, but I think those would be mistake moves. They would be the, the, the typical Nick thing where you go out and you win the, the, the day, you win the press conference, you excite everybody because of a big name and, and, and it has a very short window for success. So I don't think those would have been the right moves. So again, I'm, I'm actually, uh, I, I would praise them for the things that they haven't done because I don't think they've made some of the same old mistakes that prior administrations have done again and again and again. Um, but now a lot depends on is Obi Toppin as good as they hope he is because there's some there, there there's certainly a, a mix of opinions on him among scouts across the league. Uh, you know, is R.J. Barrett going to turn into uh, you know a, a top line player? Um, is there still time to for Kevin Knox or Frank Nielakina to, to become something? Or are they already just who they are? There's just not a lot of talent on this roster. And so they have a lot of work to do. But I, I think slow and methodical and and patient is is a refreshing change. Yeah, it'll be interesting to to hear Leon's explanation uh when when he does if he ever speaks. <laughs> I- He's got to speak at some point because Knicks fans need to know what's what's going on uh, other than the fact that the draft lottery is seven months away and there are 72 games ahead of us that the Knicks will probably lose 62 of. So uh, at a certain point, Leon will speak. I just uh, don't be sure. It's the guard. Don't be sure. Yeah, not the Knicks said we don't have any plans yet. That's uh, that's as of today. But uh, I, I think that I think that Leon um, certainly before the start of the season will have something to say. And I hope it's before Thanksgiving. Um, because in this town, you know, Howard's coming to us from Brooklyn. Um, there's a lot of Nick fans and the Nick fans dwarf the net, the Nets fans in terms of a fan base and they want to know what's up and they want to hear it from the new boss. And I, I, Leon has to do that at some point. Uh, and I think he realizes that, 
Um, we're going to wrap here. Uh, again, he's Howard Beck from Sirius XM NBA Radio. You can follow him on Twitter at Howard Beck. He's been covering the league an awful long time, and he's damn good at it. Um, he's just really great. Um, a great person, too. So, Howard, thanks for coming on the show. Um, I'm Again, I'm Chris Sheridan. You can follow me at Sheridan Hoops on Twitter. And uh, and this uh, this podcast is live on basketballnews.com. It's the newest and best NBA website out there. We've been open for about two and a half months, and uh, and we're killing it. Um, take a look and tell your friends because there's a lot of great content there and there aren't a lot of new websites coming along um, these days, but this is, this is, uh, is one of them and, and it's a winner. So Howard, again, thanks very much for being on the show. Look forward to hearing you on the radio. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Chris. Appreciate it. And uh, you guys keep doing great stuff at basketballnews.com. It's, it's uh, I love what you guys are doing so far and, and uh, you, you guys are just getting started. So, so very uh, curious to see where it goes from here. Uh, love what you guys are doing. Thanks very much. With that, we're gonna uh, we're gonna wrap it up, um, and I'll be uh, back at you with another guest in my the next episode of my show. Um, as soon as there's something crazy happening, like the NBA players meeting with the Pope and Anthony Tolliver calling him chill, and you know what? That could happen tomorrow. Oh, and I don't I don't know about the Pope, but there's something crazy will happen in the NBA every day between now and December 22nd the way it goes is uh, in, in this crazy year so with that we're going to say over and out thanks for tuning in folks